0: Luke tells us in chapter 17 that Jesus is traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Along the border, which goes kind of like this on the map, which leaves some readers scratching their heads. Why, by this point in the Lucan narrative, Has Jesus not made more progress towards Jerusalem, which is way down here? And why is Jesus traveling more or less horizontally to get down there? It might be that Luke is bad with geography. Or it might be that Luke is really good at suggesting the ways of Jesus. If you know anything about Samaria and anything about Galilee, then you know that the two places aren't exactly on friendly terms. And Luke says that Jesus walks the border between them, as if the hostilities don't quite affect him like they do everybody else, or as if he knew what he would find there in the deserted, in-between space. Or as if he were looking to walk a line of coexistence while everyone else stayed safely on their respective sides. Whatever his motive, it is along the border between these two hostile regions that Jesus runs into ten lepers all at once. Lepers were even lower than Samaritans. They're so low, you'll notice the normal racial distinctions don't even apply. That's how low they are. A Samaritan Jew mixes with Jewish lepers. They actually bond together, perhaps out of sheer necessity. Now... If you've ever been at church camp when illness broke out, then I think you can visualize the camaraderie that might have developed between these ten lepers. Because I imagine that what happened between these ten was a lot like when that first person at camp or on a mission trip gets the stomach bug. You're in cramped quarters. There's not adequate medical care, which means... You all get the stomach bug, and you all play nurse, and you all play cleanup crew. Once you've cleaned up somebody else's vomit, it's not long before a whole host of social reservations come tumbling down. You've bled and puked with these people, no use being shy, composed, and polite anymore. And that is how the 10 knew they were pals for life. Your nose could be rotting off, but your friends wouldn't bat an eye. You could mention oozing pus and decaying toenails and not a soul would cringe. Among the closest of friends, especially friends who've shared common sickness or hardship all kinds of barriers are removed there develops a level of freedom that you can't have with just anyone and that's why the tin friends probably told leper jokes amongst themselves and that is certainly why a Jewish Jewish lepers were able to walk hand in hand with a Samaritan leper Once they'd realized that everybody's flesh was rotting, I suppose it became less controversial what color the flesh was or who your descendants were. They were all heaped together as a bunch of diseased souls on a journey looking for healing. And that's where the story begins. Prior to Jesus' arrival, these ten lepers have been roughing it, making do... Staying on the outskirts away from normal people. But this motley, racially mixed, diseased and dying crew have begun to hear rumors about a prophet who works wonders, healing the sick, raising the dead, touching the untouchable. The normal boundary lines between clean and unclean don't seem to concern this prophet. Borders don't scare him away. In fact, he walks along them looking for people to heal. And word has it he's headed their way. So on the basis of these scandalous rumors, the ten lepers drag what's left of their rotting carcasses into a circle and call a team meeting to order. Should they risk an encounter with this man of God? Should they seek him out? What have we got to lose, says one. But what if he rejects us, worries the youngest member of the group? What's one more rejection, a seasoned member curses under his breath. The worst that can happen is that he'll turn us away. Big deal, we've been around that block before. But who knows? Maybe he'll welcome us. This insight starts a chain reaction. Hope catches like a fever. More begin to chime in, yeah, what have we got to lose? The enthusiasm grows louder and stronger, and even the young one is convinced. The contaminated crew seems to have reached a consensus, and so they set out to meet the coming prophet. No one notices that one member never voted. Everyone else is distracted by his own excitement. They haven't had anything to give them hope in years, and this one-in-a-million chance is enough to infuse disease-beaten bodies with new energy. But one member of the crew isn't hopeful. He's scared out of his mind. He's scared that Jesus will heal his friends Because Jesus will surely overlook him, the Samaritan. But Jesus just might heal them and take away the one thing he has left in this life. He's not scared that Jesus will reject the group. He only hopes that might be the case. He feels almost certain that Jesus will reject him and heal them. The worst part being that his only friends will then turn and reject him too. But he's been a part of this crew for 17 years. And for 17 years, they've always stuck together. He just didn't have the heart to speak up and try to persuade the group away from meeting the prophet. So he kept quiet during the vote and now he shuffles along at the back of the band of limping brothers keeping his terrified thoughts to himself what will i do if jesus heals them what will i do if an excited cry interrupts his thoughts there he is the young one sees jesus first The chatter amongst the group stops, and they all turn and look to see the approaching prophet. It's hard to explain how they know it's him, but they know it as soon as they see him. He's surrounded by disciples as he walks, but it's clear who is the rabbi and who are the students. The infirmity ridden bunch knows to keep their distance, and so they do so respectfully. For a full minute, they stand there, dumb stricken, slightly trembling. But then, as if they had planned a script, there arises from the group one unison voice crying out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. To his alarm, even the Samaritan finds himself joining the cry with urgency. And as soon as the sound of their voices rise, Jesus stops in his tracks, turns and looks. Not the kind of look they were used to getting. Not the startled stare of a child who's never seen skin disease, nor the fearful glance of a mother trying to keep her children at a safe distance nor the open gawk of an uncomfortable passerby. This is a knowing look, unlike any other. The Samaritan is trying to hide behind the others, but Jesus' eye catches even his, and Jesus sees him, knows him, reads him. During that gaze, time stands still and the gaze would have been gift enough, except that Jesus interrupts the stunned silence. Go, show yourself to the priests. That's all he says. And it would have felt like a dagger in their hearts if it weren't for the way he said it. See, they know that priests will turn them away. They were only hoping that Jesus wouldn't. They are hoping, against all evidence to the contrary, that there is someone in this world who will open his arms to welcome them. But in effect, Jesus turns them around, turns them away. Go, show yourself to the priests. That dreaded word, go. They long to hear, come. But there is something about the way Jesus says, go. That for the first time in their diseased lives, it doesn't feel like they are being rejected. It feels like they are being directed. And each one of their hearts rises up and whispers, Obey him. And so they turn around and they go. Even the Samaritan hears the whisper. He works up the nerve to break that sacred gaze, turn around with the rest of the crew, and start the painful hobble towards the synagogue. They all secretly want to stay there. Close by that holy man. It doesn't make sense to turn around after they've been searching so long for him and nothing has even happened yet. But they are strangely compelled to obey. Perhaps you can relate. It makes more sense to wait around with every intention of moving and working once God brings the healing but you've heard him, haven't you? Say, go before all your parts were in working order. The text says, as they went, they were healed. As they limped along, they were healed. Sometimes when you've heard the whisper, you've just got to start limping. Now, a curious thing happens to the Samaritan after the healing. He had been terrified of losing his friends, but after they were all healed, the other nine just kept on walking, going along their way, and suddenly he knows it is he who must leave them. They have forgotten Jesus' gaze, but he has not and the memory of it compels him to return. The text puts it this way, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. Now surely all ten lepers saw that they were healed. They couldn't have not noticed when they suddenly regrew a finger. But perhaps it is only this one leper, who truly sees. The other nine are too mesmerized by the glory of their own restoration that they can no longer see past the wonder of their two hands, past themselves to the one who gave them life, past themselves to the brother who shares their joy. It would seem they have regressed back to where they view blessings as their right and their privilege to be hoarded. Rather than as a magnanimous gift deserving of gratitude. But the Samaritan somehow sees and remembers that it was God who healed him. And sees that such a gift deserves response. He sees that he has been healed, and so he knows that he must leave them and return to Jesus. It's strange, isn't it? One day of healing has more power to unite those ten men than years and years of common disease, but they miss it. The healing power of Jesus is more potent than contamination any day. He is the prophet with a knack for stamping out the borders that separate people, for walking along the lines that divide people. He never patrols to keep people out, but he walks border lines on purpose, healing people and healing divisions. So the ten ex-lepers could have moved forward, Healed in more ways than one, now sharing a common story, a common miracle, and a common savior. But unfortunately, nine lepers fail to truly see. Theologian Maggie Don writes, the nine went right back where they came from, safely on the right side of the border, healed of their exterior problems, but locked back into their prejudices. It seems it took a Samaritan, an outcast, to recognize the full implications of grace that heals not only our bodies, but our communities. When the Samaritan returns and falls at Jesus' feet to thank him, Jesus says, "'Rise and go. Your faith has made you well.'" But why does Jesus say that? Your faith has made you well. The Samaritan had already been healed back when he had been limping towards the synagogue. Is it possible that Jesus' words are creating a new reality, another healing, inside the ex-leper as Jesus speaks? It seems to me we all need healing in multiple layers. The Samaritan's skin is healed, but so is his vision, his vision of God, his vision of himself as one loved by God. The other nine experience healing too, but then a different kind of contamination creeps into their once close-knit community and blinds them from seeing the truth, keeps them from responding to the miracle as they should. The Samaritan, however, continues to choose faith even after the first healing, and as he continues, the healing continues, layer by layer by layer, the power of God, cleansing and restoring, wiping out borders, making all things whole. I don't know how many layers deep you go, or how long you've been limping along in faith, being healed and waiting to be healed. But I pray this, may you have the audacity to walk along borders that others avoid, knowing that you might just bump into Jesus as you limp there. May you have the eyes to see your healing as gift and to recognize your healer. May you return often to give thanks. May your gratitude bubble over, knowing that there is not a single layer of you so diseased that Jesus is not willing to touch it and make it clean. And knowing that there is not a single division among us where Jesus is not walking, looking for us and hoping to be seen. Amen.